right, and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here's your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories, and I am your host, Fred. And our guest this week is James Kicklighter. He's an amazing young man who's already produced a great variety of video work, um, director, producer. Um, he's now debuting a documentary he directed about the golden age of radio drama. It's called Theater of the Mind. It features many faces and, of course, their voices, um, people from the golden age of radio, the performers, explorers, what it was like to be on the air um, live five days a week, and what it took to make radio happen in those days. Um, here's a fun, short little excerpt from that program, then we'll get right into the interview. I was 16 years old, and I had this mad crush on a boy who was an announcer at the local station in Alabama. And I thought, how will I ever get him to notice me? I thought, well, I'll just get on the air. Radio was the theater that we enjoyed. And I said, this, this is what I want to do and be in the arts. And I fell in love with the microphone instead of the boy. And I've been in the business ever since. So the reason we uh, decided to do the sound design class is, is one, we wanted to make sure we were doing a cross-platform within communication arts. So we're covering theater, radio, and television. This particular project is, is more of a radio drama. We decided to do the radio drama simply because it's not done that often. It's kind of uh, old school, if you will. We thought it would be exciting for the kids to do some of the Foley stuff as well. You get into this comfort zone I'm like, ah, just go ahead and read through it. We'll fix everything. But when it's live, you know, it, it pushes, pushes us uh, whippersnappers out of our element. It seems to be uh, something that's done more as a, an occasional thing, you know, a little excursion into something different. So I think it would be very, very hard to find people who were as professional in their radio technique today. Um, as uh, there were many actors and actresses in, in the 40s and 50s. It was the first dramatic show put on radio in, um, in Gadsden, Alabama. And it was a very uh, artistic type person who was just doing this thing. And I remember I had one line to a very attractive young man on the other side of the microphone. And I remember the line till this day. It was Hillary. Oh, Hillary, I love you. That was it. That's my first memory. That did it. <laughs> For two or three generations of Americans, if you met your friends at work or at school and talked about the television or the radio that you enjoyed the previous night, most everybody saw the same things. Did you see Jack Benny last night? Did you see that great show, da-da-da-da, last night? Did you hear that, this and that? And maybe a third of the people, maybe half of the people you knew would have seen the same thing, and you had a common experience to discuss. And that was an excerpt from Theater of the Mind, directed by James Kicklighter, and here is an interview uh, with the guy who put together this uh, great film. All right. Uh, my guest today is James Kicklighter. He is a public relations film studies major at Jordan, Georgia Southern University. Um, he has quite a lot of film time to his name, a lot of credits. Um, he was the director of the uh, Western documentary, That Guy, The Legacy of Doug 
Dub Taylor. Um, he also completed Di Paggio. Um, he has that's a story of four students on an international adventure to find themselves. Um, and the project that we're talking about today is a theater of the mind, a story about um, audio theater and its time. James Kicklighter, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And Although did. I'm going to say one thing. Do I correct you on one thing? I was the executive producer and assistant director of that guy, The Legacy of Dub Taylor. Okay. I don't want to stomp on uh, Mark Stokes's parade there. Sure, and I want to make, make sure you know get some of your 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 film credits here. And it's you know it's interesting because of course we talked to a lot of audio people. Now we're talking to someone who sounds like you're um, very well versed in uh, the, the film world. Right. Well, it's something that uh, it's really interesting because film provides you the opportunity to tell stories. Uh, you know, I think people are fascinating, and if you can actually lens that and bring uh, out pieces of, you know, the human perspective, wherever that may be, it's really interesting. I think film gives you an interesting place to uh, really extrapolate on that. And uh, yeah, and and we were we were just chatting a minute ago about your latest project, um, Theater of the Mind. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so you're telling a story about a medium for telling stories. And, and do you want to just tell us a little bit about, um, one, what the film is, and two, um, how you got um, started on it? Well, uh, Theater of the Mind is a short documentary uh, that talks about the early days of radio theater. Uh, now, as, as you, I'm sure, and your listeners are really well ra- aware, um, radio has had lots of different incarnations. And uh, there are many different components to radio, and you could spend all day looking at these components if you were looking at it from a historical perspective. Uh, so for me, uh, when we were asked to come in and do this project, um, it seemed that radio theater, if we're going to focus on that, had to be very specific to the performances. Uh, because why is it that you remember when you listen to anything, uh, when you watch a film, when you listen to something on the radio, if you go to Broadway, it's the performance of that uh, that you recall and you remember. And uh, it's the people who brought that story out. So I wanted to be able to capture uh, the different stories that each of the performers had to share uh, about their experiences in radio. Uh, so that's kind of what uh, the film focuses on, these performances. And uh, especially in this new modern age, uh, when we have all of these wonderful technologies available to us. You know, right now this interview you can take in uh, Adobe Sound Booth or Soundtrack Pro or whatever you use to edit, and you can actually you know, cut out things instantly without having to worry about that. But 50, 60, 70 years ago, when recordings were brand new, you didn't have those options. You had to do it live. You had to get it right. And if something went wrong, you had to redo the whole thing. And that, to me, is just fascinating. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so tell me tell me how you get started, because, um, you know, you... Uh, you know, you're a young guy, you're, you're in film, um, radio may not be something that we always think about. So, you know, how, how is, is, you know, a topic that um, is not mainstream? How did you, you come about actually um, going about to tell the story? Well, it's interesting because, you know, radio, a lot of people say radio is dying or the radio is a dead form, especially radio theater. Um, and that's something that I found uh, when interviewing because it's not a topic that I knew much about because I, of course, and the raised in a generation where television, internet, uh, things of that nature is where we get our entertainment. So I'm making the assumption that most people watching the film are going to also come from that same background uh, because radio theater at its height uh, ended towards the end of the 50s, early 60s. So most of us that are out there today, with the exception of the uh, greatest generation, of course, are not going to have this experience. So ultimately, it's got to come down to the stories. It's got to come down to how these people made great performances, 
and how they're actually being remembered today and people are still listening to them, uh, despite the fact years ago they never expected these performances to be remembered because, uh, you know, today we have all these recording technologies. Um, in the 1930s, that was brand new. People didn't expect to listen to a performance. You know, you think about Shakespeare. You think about uh, Romeo and Juliet. You think about all these classics that we know and love and grow up with. But when we think about the original performance, we don't know who did it. We don't uh, have the opportunity to listen to it because there was no recording technology available to replay that performance. So that's something that's changed. And I think a lot of these performers had no idea when they were actually giving it. So that story to me was very interesting. Hmm. And um, of course, you know, you you are um, from this sort of privileged place that now we do have all of this uh, digital technology um, to change it. Um, so uh, did you did you think there's something to be said here about the quality of, of, of creativity and of, and of entertainment now that um, there there is more technology to be had? Uh, well, that's that's a question that we kind of went through uh, during the whole project. Uh, I think there is something to be said about perfectionism, uh, as far as and professionalism. I guess uh, both of them go hand in hand. I think uh, because you know then these performers had to be so versatile. You know, if something was, if say you're broadcasting something live uh, over the radio and there is a sound effect that needs to be timed at this exact moment. Well, it wasn't until the 40s that you started seeing, you know, rec uh, discs, the, uh, the records, uh, with pre-made sound effects. So say you're making something live for an audience in a New York auditorium that's being broadcast to millions of people, uh, and something goes wrong on the script. What are you going to do? You're not going to stop the camera. You know, it's broadcasting. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that these people had to be so professional. And, you know, the people that we interviewed all are each exceptional at what they do. Uh, they're all the epitome of professional. And if you go back and listen to the work, you'll see it stands up now. It also was sort of a quick uh, turnaround time, right? You said you've only been working on this a year. Obviously, it's, it's a shorter piece, so it's, it's, so it's not feature length. But um, you found it, you found a, it come together pretty well? I think so. it's, it's been a ridiculous uh, production time, actually. Um, the, the film I just finished, Deep Passaggio, um, is a, about a 70-minute film, and that we took about a year to make, a little less than a year. But this project we've done in a grand total of three months, oh, <laughs> which is crazy for film production. Even if it is a 35-minute film, that's nuts, uh, because that, was, that includes – now, let me rewind a little bit for you. Uh, this project is – being made by Georgia Southern University, and they they brought myself and Jonathan Pope on board to do it, uh, and this is going to kick off a ten year celebration of radio for the Broadcast Education Association. Uh, so when I came on board in January and told them, "Hey, if we're going to make this film, I really want to get the performers," uh, they're saying, "Well, that's wonderful, James, but you know we're in a time of budget cuts, economic crisis." How are we going to be able to fund this thing? Uh, so I asked our uh, vice president of enrollment management and student affairs, Dr. Teresa Thompson, and uh, our uh, College of Liberal Arts and Social Sciences dean, uh, Sue Moore, if they would provide us funding to go travel and find these people. When they said yes, uh, it floored everyone, including myself, because we didn't really expect uh, to get the money. And uh, so from that point, I had to be able to find the performers, uh, go, find all the sources online, go through agents, go anywhere that I thought I could find performers, and then find them, get to agree to uh, interview for this project. And, you know, it's hard to find people that actually did these performances still living today. 
because, you know, a lot of that, those people, that generation has died out. So it's been very difficult. So in that sense, I'm extremely pleased of what we've been able to pull off in this very, very short time. Yeah. And, and one thing that's interesting to me is, um, of course, you mentioned you did have to, re- have to reach out um, on the Internet to to find people. And of course, you, you must have encountered sort of the, the modern stuff going on. So was there was the, the, the well deeper than you thought? Was there actually, did you you know, encounter some things that, you know, made you think more deeply about radio drama before um, you'd started this process? Yeah, well, I never really thought about radio drama, to be honest. You know, as I said, it's not in the realm of experience that I grew up with, with the exception, of course, of NPR and Garrison Keillor. I've been raised on Prairie Home Companion, so I, I love that. But it's not in the realm of experience for me. So for me to go to Google and type in, you know, old-time radio drama or performers, et cetera, et cetera, to find all of these fan sites and to find all of these people who still listen and still care about these performances. It's, it's quite an interesting, uh, it's an interesting topic because I think that, you know, I had no idea that there was such an, you know, an outpouring of interest in this. Uh, something else that's been interesting through the performers' interviews uh, they've told us, you know, that they go to these reenactments, you know, they go to do these different things uh, where they get thousands of people to listen to them live on stage, re-pre- recreate and reperform these shows that they listen to as a kid. Um, I remember Rosemary Rice, uh, one of the people interviewed in the film, uh, she uh, <laughs> mentioned that she was at this uh, hotel a few uh, years ago and uh there was this fan that came up to her and just said, hey, you're Rosemary Rice. I've listened to you for all these years. You were on 65 episodes of this show. And she goes, I was not on 65 episodes. And she was like, oh, no, yes, you were. And he gave the whole list of all these shows. She was, and she didn't even remember it. Oh, so, uh, you know, it's fascinating, you know, how many people actually listen and care to the point uh, you know, that they, they know all of the performances that these performers gave when the performers and I have forgotten about them. All right. And James, I got to ask, um, are you personally more interested in, in maybe even doing your own um, audio work now that you've uh, been, been exposed to it through this project? Well, yeah, I think it's something that it definitely interests me. Um, one of the things that I do, uh, I make children's audiobooks. I have a contract with a publisher uh, here in the Southeast to uh, do kids' books. So I've dealt with that kind of thing before. Uh, but as I said, that's kind of, you know, the recorded uh, medium. That's not necessarily live radio theater. Uh, so really getting to work hands-on with these performers about their experiences and such, and then juxtaposing that with the sound design class that Georgia Southern University is offering. Uh, watching them recreate these shows has been fascinating. And, uh, you know, one of the students mentions in the film that, you know, after studying about these performers for many years, she works for a local radio station here at Georgia Southern, uh, next fall, they're going to try to start doing an annual radio broadcast, uh, a live radio theater broadcast, uh, because they've just been so enthralled if, with what they learned in this class. And so for me, definitely, uh, it's sparked my interest. Um, it's sparked uh, everyone who's worked on this project, I think, has just been amazed at the difficulty and the sheer professionalism that each of these wonderful actors and actresses had to deliver on a daily basis. Uh, you know, it's one thing to hear about it in, you know, from a historical perspective, but when you put a human face on that, when you put a performer that you can sit down and talk with, it, it makes it a lot more interesting and engaging, I think. Oh, brilliant. And um, I 
you know, and, and of course, in my biased opinion, I would say that uh, there's a lot to, to a lot to learn. You know, a lot. You know, just from a, from a film perspective, you know, all learning audio makes you understand, you know, how powerful the audio part of a of, of a film is, and, and you know, any, you know, even if you're not intending to work in radio, I think the skills that you um, acquire. Um, you know, obviously live on stage is yet another rung up, but even doing uh, pre-produced recordings, um, you know, you're, you're getting experience using different um, sound design programs. Um, like for me, I record in the field, so it's even, it's even you're learning those sort of recording field techniques. recording techniques. And, and, and yeah, um, and that's something, you know, a lot of people discount in film, uh, you know, the, the audio, the importance of audio. And I've always been at the school of thought that if you do not have a, such a clear understanding, if you cannot hear what's, you know, all these different textures and tapestries that you're having underneath uh, the visual, you're not going to have as effective a film. Uh, you know, people don't think of film as being a audible medium. They think of it as being a visual medium, but, you know, they go hand in hand. They're very important. Uh, you know, if you think about your favorite movies, I can almost guarantee you there's a wonderful, especially these, you know, big blockbuster types, there's a such a dynamic underlying background to it. Uh, I think of Wally most recently, uh, that didn't have much speech. That had a lot of sound effects. It had it, it just, you know, a wonderful team of artists who worked on that specifically. You know, if you don't have that, if you do not have those wonderful textures and those wonderful sounds to accompany the visual, uh, you lose a lot of the dramatic texture of the film. Sure, and, and even thinking about great films like Apocalypse Now, the work that Randy Tom did on that, you know. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Yeah, and, and, you know, Francis uh, Copeland knows that, too. You know, if you look at his films, especially Apocalypse Now, uh, you know, it's that sound effects, you know, juxtaposed with uh, the visual. I mean, you know, I think of that, uh, you know, the ceiling fan at the beginning of that film. You know, that's the air, the helicopter, you know, going off. It's it's just, you know, wonderful because you really get inside that character's head. And, uh, you know, that's, that goes hand in hand. So, you know, really being able to, uh, to spend time on this project and, you know, really get a good understanding of what these people had to do and what they have done to create such memorable, wonderful, uh, audible experiences. Of course, I will definitely apply uh, to the future to, you know, projects that I want to do because it's it's just so fascinating listening uh, to how they did these things. And, you know, and when you listen to it on the radio, you go, that's that's how you did that, really? <laughs> because you can't believe that they were able to achieve much wonderful results uh, with such little uh, technology and such little resources. Yeah, well, that's where uh, ingenuity comes in, for sure. Yeah, it's a long, I mean, the, it's all about the human element. Uh, no, so the the, the film's uh, completed. I, I, I believe you were telling me it was screening on Friday, and now... Um, it's going to be part of the Broadcast Education Association Festival. Um, now that it's out, uh, what's 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 the future of it? Uh, what, what's the what are your plans? Well, that that's a good question. Uh, at the moment, we're working that out with the university. But what I'm hoping we're going to be able to do is take it to festivals. Um, I would like to take it across the country, um, just like I'm doing with DeFasagio right now, because there's some really, I think it's a story that's interesting to a lot of people, uh, especially when you're hearing it from the perspective of all these different performers. Uh, you know, these the, it's really an oral history uh, when you think about, you know, what these people are saying and how they're talking about these personal stories, these experiences that they each all had. Uh, because the interesting thing about it is if you talk to one person, let's, Edith Ivey, uh, who's in the film, she's worked on 
all of these days, she worked on Guiding Light, which of course just got is going to be canceled in September. The longest running soap that was on radio and television. Um, this is kind of a, a bunny trail, but uh, Michelle Himes, who's also in the film, she uh, works at the the University of uh, Wisconsin Madison, where the NBC archives are, of course. And as uh, she mentioned to me in one of the interviews, uh, it's not in the film, but it was just an interesting fact that if you listen to Guiding Light, you could not study every episode in one lifetime. Hmm. There's so many. Oh, if you sat down and looked at all the radio and television ones, you could not in an entire lifetime. And, you know, this performer, Edith Ivey, that we interviewed in the film, she just finished The Curious Case of Benjamin Button for Warner Brothers and Paramount, of course, which was the first digital motion picture for them, uh, which is fascinating to see people who have gone from point A, you know, to something that no one can study, to point B, that's all digital. It's fascinating. And, uh, you know, so that's that's a story that I think people will find interesting, and that's a story that I hope to be able to share in the coming months and years. Sure. And and how about yourself? Do you have other other creative projects? Or now that you have this in the can, you might be willing to take a take a breather. Well, you know, I've, as I said, I finished Deep Passaggio. I don't know if I said this or not, but I finished Deep Passaggio this week that I started Theater of the Mind. So I've been going now nonstop for about a year and two months <laughs> doing yeah. film. And I really would like a little bit of a break. Uh, because that was one reason I was halfway reluctant to pick this project up, because I was like, okay, it's a great opportunity, it's going to be very interesting, but do I, I really need to take a break. <laughs> so I'm glad I picked it up, but uh, now I'm for serious. I would like to have a, a brief break, if nothing else. Sure, sure. And and for uh, people like us uh, out on the web who are interested in learning more about Theater of the Mind, uh, where can we encounter that piece of work? They can go to uh, jameskicklider.com, that's K-I-C-K-L-I-G-H-T-E-R, just like it sounds, and uh, you can go to the Contact Us page, and we will uh, get in touch with you. Or you can also visit um, georgiasouthern.edu. There's no press on it yet, uh, but I'm sure that the Marketing Communications Office will soon be putting out some stuff regarding the project. Excellent. well, great. Any any other closing comments? Anything about radio that um, that you you want that you haven't commented on that you'd like um, just just to put out there? Well, you know the interesting one thing I didn't really talk about much uh, that I'd like to briefly briefly talk about is the the fact that radio it's, it's ephemeral as far as the performances were once concerned. Uh, I, I, I talked about this briefly, but. We live in a generation where everything that we see is on demand, where anytime we want something, it can be gotten within seconds. And when you're dealing with, it's the same thing when television came around. When you're dealing with broad, like three or four different broadcasting networks, they didn't have as many options. So when people listen to something, it was a very much a collective experience. When you listen to Johnny Carson, when you listen to Jack Benny, when you listen to uh, Howdy Doody, you were sharing that with millions of other people. And today, things are so segmented with all these different options that you're not necessarily going to get that same collective experiences. So these performers that are in this project, when they broadcasted, they were broadcasting to the whole country. They were not just broadcasting to segmented specific audiences. And that is something that's not necessarily a bad thing today, but uh, society just asked the broadcast networks whose ratings have been going down. You know, ER just went off the air, and uh, it 
I believe, had 18 million viewers. Uh, when at ER Height, there was 36 million you know, viewers. And you're never going to see that again on our broadcast network because of cable and all the new options available to you. Wow. Yeah, and of course, you know, now we are also in an age where every little... Um, you know, these are great performances, and so many of them were not recorded yet. Now, every little mini Twitter thing we put out, every little LinkedIn update is now part of the public record. Um, so it's it is a different age. It is. So I, I think it will be interesting to see where that goes. And it, you know, it's a good and a bad thing, I think, because it's interesting from the perspective that technology can provide us all these new resources, but everything is trackable and everything is traceable. So what's creative anymore? Because you know, if you can see what someone else is doing at any time, uh, it's, I think it becomes very difficult to, uh, to create and generate your own original thought. Uh, so I think it will be interesting in the coming years to see how that does affect performances, how that does affect the way we look at things and the way that we evaluate uh, our, our entertainment sources. Well, James, best of luck with all of your ambitions with this project and any um, that you're um, up to. Um, great talking to you, and uh, uh, thanks so much for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And that was James Kicklighter, jameskicklighter.com. As you heard, um, you can get a copy of that DVD by bugging Georgia Southern University. Um, This work will be continued actually into a long-term research project on audio. Um, If you want to learn more about that, please contact Dr. Melanie Stone. Her email address is mstone at georgiasouthern.edu. That's mstone at georgiasouthern.edu. All right, um, we've got more voices next week, more stories. Um, if you can't wait for more, of course, check out the podcast and blog, www.radiodramarevival.com. Previous episodes, reviews, uh, the Malia series by Chris Duker, um, all, all kinds of information, bonus episodes, good stuff like that. Um, you can also find us on iTunes, search for Radio Drama Revival. And that about wraps it up for this week. Until next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and see you next week. Mm-hmm.